Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes. It's so good when I hit the post. It's really like you solid. know the show's about to kill it. <laughs> Girl, you be killing them. You be killing them. Girl, you be killing them. You be killing them. Fabulous. Fabulous. Texting your favorite, favorite fabulous beat. 65780. You could win tickets to the Dead Show. 101 ESPN has your chance to win free tickets to see Dead and Company on June 21st at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the show are on sale now. Find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead and Company right now at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Jackson, I'm watching the Cardinals last night. Yep. Were you? No. Nets and uh, Celtics. But I, I, I watched the full recap of the show. Or the it was you a mean show. like eight minute game recap. Yeah. I just right. need, I really basically only need to see the last two innings. Well, you know, I I actually like that kind of game. Now I don't know if I'm in the minority on it. I, I certainly don't think I'm in a substantial majority. I think I might be in a large minority. Is that an oxymoron, bro? Yeah, I don't know if that would be as in, like, only maybe 15 to 20%. How about would... substantial minority? Nice. I'm so old. God, I wish I would have gone to Ladue. <laughs> um, I like that kind of stuff. So I found myself being locked in. Right. Now I'm coming from, humble brag, HD2 this morning, where Doug Vaughn and the Plowhawk made it clear that they were bored out of their minds by that game. I loved it. I love that kind of baseball. It's moving quickly. That's one thing. But it's it's not about moving quickly. I'm entertained because you know any form of contact could be huge. Right. Um, it's just I found that to be captivating. I'm curious where people are on that. Do you prefer like a 10-9 game? I, I realize the game wound up with seven runs, but, you know, scoreless through seven. Man, if you were, And I actually was. I do know what the live bet total was. The run total was two and a half. And I think the over was actually plus money. Because I'm watching it, and I hate doing this, but I'm thinking to myself, the Cardinals are not able to hit this guy. They just can't hit Max Scherzer. And, hey, most teams can't. Most players can't. Nothing rare there. There's no hot take to give about that. It's pretty basic information. He's just carving them up. And I'm thinking, as long as he's in there, they're not going to score a run, and inevitably the Mets are going to score. Well, I didn't live bet it. And uh, I, I would have won, but I would have won in a process, a thought process that I was never thinking that they would wind up with uh, a five-run ninth inning. So the Cardinals get Scherzer out after 101 pitches. I think if this is an important game in September or October, Buck Showalter is just going to go with Max Scherzer until the very end. I right. don't think Matt Buck 
Buck Showalter would have been able to get him off the mound. That's mm-hmm. not the way that it works with right, Max right. Scherzer. So uh, the Cardinals break through with, uh, with some runs in the bottom of the eighth with Tyler O'Neill with the base hit. God bless America, 2-0. And then it gets away in the ninth. And it gets away in an ugly fashion. And the Cardinals uh, have the, the throwing error, and Arnato keeps things going. They're a strike away from winning. And uh, and then you have uh, an unfortunately implode when Paul Goldschmidt makes a beautiful play. I mean, yeah, what a play. Awesome. Diving stop. I don't know how many times a ball hit that hard, he's able to snag that thing and then get to his feet and then get the throw, but Gallegos isn't over at the bag. He hesitates initially. He said in the postgame that he thought it was foul, uh-huh. and that's why he didn't move. Right. Jackson, always be moving, yep. even if it's foul, C-Y-A. And he doesn't, and I do believe that if he does get over there, the Cardinals win what would have been easily their best win of the year. Yeah, that's for a sure. hell of when you steal one, even though you wouldn't have gotten the runs against Scherzer, you steal one against the Mets in a Max Scherzer start, and you also would then come away from it talking about Miles Michaelis more so than what happened in the ninth inning. Absolutely, as Miles Michaelis has been dealing here in his last few starts. Definitely. Instead. You feel like you gave one away, and it's tough to say the morning after a game in which your team is opposing Max Scherzer, and he pitched as well as he did, that your team gave one away, but now you feel like the Cardinals gave one away, and they gave one away against a team that even though the team didn't have high win total probability going into the season, they are off to a 13-5 and start. And so this is a loss that smarts. Absolutely. This yeah. one hurts. 100%. Two two defensive plays that could have ended the game and miscues on both, and then they come around and score five. That that really stings, especially, like you said, on a Max Scherzer start. Sucks. God, Tim, I like when third basemen throw the ball while their feet are set, opposed to throwing on the run. Nolan was hot-dogging that final play. That's from Soulard Ron. I didn't get that. I, I didn't see that personally, but... I didn't see that is that is that something that's going around social media and whatever else i don't know i i I, I, I didn't i didn't see it that way yeah i i give nolan arenado the benefit of the doubt every time i don't think that's really his modus operandi no uh tim i loved that game as well that's from the 314 uh yeah tim i agree i loved everything about that game until there were two outs and two strikes with a guy on second in the ninth inning that's from the 618 the carpenter versus halliday game was one of the best games ever all right my people. My people are here. <laughs> yeah. It's different. I, I get... like I really do. I like this. But again, when I say it, I'm acknowledging, like, I don't care for interleague play. Uh-huh. I, 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 rec- I, don't, I don't care for the DH. I recognize these are, these would be in the category of baseball purists, take your pick of whatever, uh-huh. you know, old school mentality. Sure. But that's personally what I like. I think a lot of it, if it were to be psychoanalyzed, is it's what I grew up with. I think a lot of people just like what they grew up with when they were 8, 9, 10, 11, maybe into their teens. And then they view whatever is going on now as, oh, that's not the game I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So I, rec- I recognize that flaw in my preference. Sure. Absolutely. Do you, what, what, is your, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, what about you? Do you like the, I mean, granted, that was a 2 nothing game until the ninth inning. Do you like that Pitching kind of thing? Duels? Or do you prefer 10 9? Uh, I really don't have, I, I like them when. It's a lot of strikeouts. If it's a lot of ground ball outs, not yeah. so much. But if it's a strikeout festival, I like a pitching duel for sure. So I think also what makes, and, and I'm going to go a little further into the weeds on it, I think also what makes it significant is if they were getting shut down by some rando, mm-hmm. 
from the Mets or, you know, take your pick, I guess, anybody on the Pirates, you'd be going, oh, man, the Cardinals are having a crap game. Right, right. But because it's Scherzer, Mm -hmm. you recognize you're up against a Hall of Famer. Right. And then, from a Cardinal fan standpoint, you're going, man, Michaelis is totally doing it with a different style of pitching. Right. But he's matching him zero for zero. And the Mets have some bats in there. For sure. Yeah, they got a ton of talent. So... I like that style of game, which is why I cite the 2001 NLDS where you had Matt Morris at the time of the Cardinals who was pitching at a Cy Young level. Uh, you had Woody Williams who had come over from the Padres uh, a couple months earlier, and then you had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. And so there was an appreciation for the caliber of the pitchers. It wasn't like, man, these two teams can't hit. It was these teams are trying to score runs against some incredible pitching right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what you saw last night. That's why it's unfortunate the way that it went out, not just because the Cardinals lost, but it was a mental error that cost them a game after the first 26 outs were executed about as well as you can, because you have to execute about as well as you can in order to be in a position to beat a Max Scherzer uh, and a Max Scherzer start. Uh, yeah, and the Carpenter Halliday game and game five of the 2011 NLDS was just absolutely... Yeah, that was awesome. That's my kind of thing. That t- I, I like feeling that tension as a sports fan you know we, we yeah. talked uh, i don't know how it came oh we we're talking about home ice advantage and how the only series the blues had the home ice advantage in 2019 was against the stars and how certainly it was better to have it for that uh than being on the receiving end of it in dallas but in the whole scheme of things how much does it matter statistically with regards to this situation uh i like the tension of watching sports and being that invested and last night even though it's a game in the third fourth week of the season uh you're like man if the cardinals can get this one it can be the kind of win that can launch them and it and it works on the other side for the mets and the mets were already off to a good start they get to send brett bassett to the mound tonight mm-hmm. carrasco to the mound tomorrow cardinals are going to have to you know oh, yeah. grind here no doubt to uh certainly to win the series but maybe even to just win one uh hello timothy and your little sidekick Say hi to the angster when you get a second boy first time. I've heard your show, and it's breathtaking. Jackson, would you like to say hello to the angster? Hello, friends. I don't. I didn't get half of that. I need like a some sort of legend to get through that one. But <laughs> Jackson, can it. I get the line combinations for tonight's ice hockey game? That's from the six three six. We have to wait for the six shooter. Oh, do you have a six shooter today? No, that's a Friday special. I saw your questions last night, not sent right at five o'clock. I don't know if now you're trying to like keep me off balance with your pitches. Oh, uh, yeah, I just said a little, little off last night. What was wrong? No, to, nothing to was worry wrong about Kyrie. No, no. Well, I have to break it down early game film, but uh, no, it just was a little later than usual. Uh, Tim, that was the saddest crowd I've seen leaving Bush Stadium in years. Wow, Jeez. really? What, what, I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about like in what way? It was April twenty fifth. That's I don't I don't know what to say to that. I'm alarmed by the text, right. and, and I've read some awful things <laughs> off this computer screen in the last four months. And for whatever reason, that's the one that's really, that's really, that's really taken me aback. Uh, your sidekick says yes. They have a lot of talent. Name three Mets player position players right now without looking. Sure, Pete Alonso. Nice. Starling Marte. And I mean, there's a really obvious one that you haven't even gone to yet. So I feel like you're going to be able to get home since you went Marte. Uh, I. I don't want to embarrass myself here. That's why I'm... Well, that's kind of the brand from 10 to 11. <laughs> so there's two. Oh, no. Sweet, sweet prince. No. I'm thinking. Oh, no. It's 
isn't going to go well. I know. This is like when Iggy talked about putting Gorman at shortstop <laughs> and then actually dug in this morning. Well, that's our... why I'm not going to say something and be like, yo, egg on your face. They're shortstop. Um, Baez? See, this is why I don't want to embarrass myself. This is exactly why Maybe I don't. Maybe we need to have a safe word so I'll know when you want to protect yourself, and then I'll pivot off into <laughs> like talking about how I'm working on my four irons. Right. Because I know the audience is engaged in that. Uh, Lindor That's is the shortstop. Francisco Lindor. Okay. I, you know, what am I going to do? Sometimes they're better than others. No, sometimes they are. Uh, what a clown. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> Guys, lay off. Jackson is the cutest. Thanks. Needed that. <laughs> Lindor, you idiot. Right, yeah, I'm an idiot. Who the hell pitched last night, you asshat? Position players, asshat. Oh, now Jackson's going back at the audience. Point, counterpoint, punch, counterpunch. <sighs> Guys, I can't help but wonder if it would have ended differently if Molina was calling the ninth. Had the guy 0-2 with two outs and Kisner kept calling for the same pitch to go to a full count and then it didn't work out. I understand that. I don't dismiss that. I recognize we, I think we would all agree that that would fall under the category of results oriented, but you're observing that in the moment. I don't mind going that new. This is the kind, see, that's the thing. I can't do, I can do it on a 10 8 game, but I'm just not usually as engaged in a 10 8 game. I loved that game last mm. night. I was trying to get my son to watch it with me. I wanted him to watch it to appreciate that kind of game. I was saying, hey, Max Scherzer's from St. Louis, you know. What city are the Mets from? New York? I'm like, oh, my God. There we go. Look at my boy. Look at my boy. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that's the kind of game I like. I love those kinds of games. I'm glad to see other people kind of like them as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little different, like when you talk about the Carpenter Holiday game, when it's a game five, winner-go-home situation. Sure, yeah, and tension- it's too, you know, if Carpenter's healthy throughout his career, he's a Hall of Famer. Right. Holiday's a Hall of Famer. I mean, right. you're talking about, and the Phillies, 2011 Phillies were a sick baseball yeah, team. Nasty. One of the greatest teams to not win a playoff series since 2000. Potentially the best, actually. Yeah, they were stacked. Yes, for that team. The Cardinals to beat that team with Chris Carpenter on the mound against his former teammate. Sweet mother of pearl. I that can was... name a lot of position players on that 11 Phillies team. Oh, well, if you'd like to sh- to maybe, you know, compensate for the disaster that was forgetting sure. about Lindor. Here, go ahead. Peacock around, baby. Ryan Howard. Sure. Uh, Jimmy Rollins. Chase Utley still on the Phillies he at was. that time. Jason Worth. Yep. And that's uh, was Shane Victorino, possibly. Yeah. Hunter Pence was in that outfield. Hunter Pence, yeah, runs weird. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, there's more than three there. The catcher was uh, Dutch Dalton. It wasn't Rio Milto. Oh, no, wow, it was not. I thought I thought you would agree with me on the Darren Dalton thing. I don't I know just, who oh, that and is. Then I would just read text for the next 45 minutes. I don't minutes. know who that is, so. Too young to remember Dutch Dalton. I tell you, yeah, very uh, I would have, was that uh, Ruiz? I believe so. That sounds about right. Uh, Tim, it sounds like your son passed your baseball quiz better than Jackson could. Thanks. That's from the 618. Yep. Guys, pitch, uh, Kisner's pitch calling was the issue. The pitches he called resulted in a ground ball to third base and another to first base. They should have ended the game. That's from the 636. That's a little... Might be overhandling the take there. Yeah, I mean, the ground ball at first base was a rocket. It was just a right. great play. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand. But here's the thing. If, we have, if we're going to talk about Molina not being in the game, and I get it. It's not like the person who texted in, I believe, was crit- criticizing the fact that Molina was in the game. Right. Why was Molina out of the game? Pinch run. To get the pinch runner in. Right. The brand-new Cardinal making his major league no, debut. Right, on the base pass, nonetheless. Uh, and he gets to score a major league run. Talked about his heart was popping out of his chest as you can imagine he scores a run and o'neill rips that thing into left field yep 
If anything, you feel like the Cardinals maybe could have gotten more there. That's that is a tough one. I mean, it's it's rare to get upset about a game in April. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, and I'm just going to keep going into it. They they have you have what you have with Yadier Molina at this point. I talked a little bit about it. I don't think anybody. I mean, if anything, we're talking about the fact that he wasn't in there for a pinch runner in a tie scoreless game, um, and how he wasn't in there to call pitches in the ninth. Not to say that everybody's raging about that by any means, but you recognize it is what it is offensively at this point, and kind of has been. But you haven't. The problem is you have another spot in the lineup that is just an abyss. Mm-hmm. And the, my issue is you kind of knew it going in that it was going to be problematic. And so yeah, DeYoung's not in there, but Sosa's in there, and the man struck out three times on ten pitches. Now it's Max Scherzer. He struck out another time as well, non-Scherzer AB. But the shortstop thing is a concern. John Mazalock talked about it before yesterday's game. He, and I thought he had, considering it was April, what, 25th yesterday, is pointed of words you could have on April 25th, especially a season that started late. But also talked about Gorman at uh, at Memphis and what he is doing so far with eight home runs. Now he does have a 40% strikeout, right? We need to keep that in mind. And then also talked about Jack Flaherty and where he is. And uh, and we'll play that for you, and I'll, I'll let the audience uh, discern those uh, those comments from the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations. Your texts are always welcome. Sex six five or sex five, your choice. <laughs> uh, it's a different line <laughs> that goes directly to my phone. <laughs> six five seven eight zero Air Comfort Service text line, and uh, leave a mic drop. Even though it was brought to my attention during TMA this morning that Jackson's name might not be Jackson, but rather Vladimir Burkett, and he is censoring mic drops that's what it was brought to my attention and that would be i mean i mean that just goes straight to management i I just wash my hands of it and say god help you yeah i hear you but it's totally false uh so we have that coming up for you john mazalek's comments on paul de young start to the season nolan gorman and jack flaherty that is coming your way the program you're listening to is called balloon party dba hot love and little texts on 101 espn we're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. I'm standing across from a gentleman who does not know Francisco Lindor plays for the New York Mets. Off the top of my head, I didn't. Jackson Burkett is his name. That's right. It's going by Vladimir, according to some who... <laughs> are calling in or leaving mic drops on the 101 ESPN app presented by Rhino Shield, but are convinced that there is censorship going on. And we will be launching a full-scale investigation, and uh, coming up two Saturdays from now, we'll have a two-part 30 for 30 on the mic drop situation here. Two parts. We'll go through the Howard Schnellenberger era (laughs) up to Dennis Erickson, and then we'll cover Butch Davis. Uh, Jackson, I asked you to cut some audio that uh, 101 ESPN was able to get yesterday from... John Mazalak talking to reporters before the Cardinals and Mets, Max Scherzer and Miles Michaelis, that unfortunately turned into a 5-2 Cardinal loss. And a variety of topics covered in this 11-minute conversation um, with John Mazalak. Let's start with this one. He talked about Paul DeYoung. Here is John Mazalak. Well, we've seen in years past the players like Cole Long for a while and Harry for a while, guys who when their offense maybe wasn't exactly where they wanted it to be, gave you enough defensively and had enough support around them in the lineup that they could still maintain a spot. Where do you see Paul DeYoung on that spectrum right now? Well, I think, you know, all transparency, we need to see production. Um, there's no doubt, we think, from a defensive standpoint, he and Sosa both do a very good job, but at some point you want to see the offensive production that we saw 
from years past. And so as you gotta remind yourself that there's a very small sample size of three weeks into the season. Ultimately, what you wanna have them do is be a productive member of our lineup. And so I don't think you're like equating him to what you saw with some of those younger players that, that had sort of the defensive anchor that they could tie to. Whereas, you know, Paul, we expect him to, to be that all-star type caliber player. I mean, that's what we're hoping to see. And, and so, you know, early on he's struggling at the plate, but our, our fingers are crossed and I know he's working hard to try to get to where he needs to be to be that productive player. That's uh, John Mazalak and uh, ACDC <laughs> from uh, the ballpark yesterday talking about Paul DeYoung's struggles. And I thought, now listen, for those of you who may be on tilt over Paul DeYoung, um, that you might want more. You might be like, hey, bring up Gorman, move Edmund to shortstop. And so those comments wouldn't necessarily satisfy your thirst for change if you are in that category. And if you are, God bless. I would say this. I was surprised by how blunt those comments were. Were they damning? No. But I thought they were pretty blunt considering that DeYoung has only appeared in, in 12 games so far this season. Granted, though, he is hitting a buck 39, and uh, in his uh, 36 at-bats, he struck out 15 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that— Because I'm operating on the premise that they are going to give him every single chance to— win this job even though i mean if you look at his numbers over the last is this isn't this isn't going back to you know a couple of years ago this is going back to 2019 he was an all-star but if you recall by the time the postseason rolled around he just was a shell of himself he was a real liability uh so one of the things that some cardinal fans have been wondering about is you see nolan gorman with eight home runs at an early stage of the minor league season and Memphis, and then go, well, maybe you move Gorman up, put him at second, put Edmund at short. So here is what John Mazalek had to say about Nolan Gorman's performance to date. Uh, Nolan Gorman's hitting the ball really well right now down in AAA. What, uh, what goes into some of the discussions that you guys have about what the timing would be for him potentially coming up to the base? It's not so much timing as much as it is about how much are you going to actually play. And, you know, when you look at our club, one of the, the keystones of this team is our defense. And so if we're starting to have to like reshuffle the lineup, and it's not saying we're not willing to do it, but that's going to be the major part of the discussion because to get someone like like Nolan Gorman up here, you expect him to play you know, definitely against every right-hander that pitches at a minimum. And so you know, just trying to think through how you advantage that is really the biggest task. And, we also don't want to be overly knee-jerk on the very first topic we were talking about earlier on just where we are with Paul DeYoung. So, like, it's let a little time happen, but it's great to see what he's doing down there. I think that's very exciting, and uh, I'm not overly surprised. There he is on uh, Nolan Gorman. Now, I would say you could put him at DH. Right. And then you could still give DeYoung time. Yep. And then get this bat in there you've already made a move on newt bar as far as the left-handed bat mm. uh i guess they're hitching their wagon to Corey dickerson right so that is the explanation on nolan gorman i get listen th- this has kind of been my pet project here dating back to the, the october of 2019 is paul the young going oh boy 
He's got a, and he's a great guy. No, no, no. I mean, when I'm making observations professionally, never. It's personal, just for the record. On the off chance anybody thinks I'm going <laughs> off on people here, I'm not. I'm going off. I'm just going. What bothered me is you had a bunch of answers out there at shortstop, and they didn't make a move. And I think that's why this is a little more personal for me because I thought, okay, you have one spot in the lineup that you know is weak. You're not going to replace Molina, obviously. So. You have the surplus of options. Do something in the final year to close the chapter on the Wainwright, Molina, and possibly Albert Pujols era. And you can do it with one of these big boys that shortstop in free agency and not give up a prospect, and they didn't do it. And and I also believe that one of the reasons for the Schilt parting of ways was the disagreement on Paul DeYoung. And so it's, a, it's something that I'm monitoring perhaps a little more closely than everybody else. But now I think considering he hasn't started three of the last four games, uh, others are noticing it as well, along with the hideous production and the number of strikeouts the Cardinals are getting from that position. Because I think everybody can accept Molina not doing much offensively. Most catchers around baseball aren't necessarily raking but at shortstop when you have two of your nine spots that you know going in are not necessarily going to be big contributors it then means the other seven spots you better have a lot of those guys firing on all cylinders and so when Nolan Arnato because inevitably it's going to happen slumps and right now you have a number of the players in the outfield slumping uh, it smarts a little bit more because two of the nine guys aren't necessarily going to be offensive uh, producer. So with that all said, the question that had most people wondering how the Cardinals would approach April and May was born out of the news regarding Jack Flaherty when it was announced that he was going to have to take time for his shoulder in March. John Mazalek was asked about the status of Flaherty yesterday before the game. We saw Jack throwing in Milwaukee. Where is he? Where does his rehab stand stand now? Well, I, I don't think, you know, he's to the point where we're talking about an actual rehab assignment yet, but, you know, from everything I'm hearing internally, we're encouraged with the steps he's taking. But as I told you guys a month ago, it's something we're just going to have to be patient with. And, you know, fingers crossed that at some point he's going to be a, a key contributor to this rotation. That does uh, John Mazzalek and Pat Benatar. <laughs> uh, so I have to say I, I, I kind of disagree on this because if if – if the message from the Cardinals when this was announced, and if you remember, Jack Flaherty wasn't really happy that it was announced because it was right before what was scheduled to be an arbitration right, hearing, right, that right. he had a slap tear, and he said, I've had a slap tear for a couple of years. It's just interesting that it's getting announced right before my arbitration hearing because uh, he was like subtweeting about it, that uh, the, the Cardinals were talking about the possibility of pitching in mid-May which is why I submitted to Predictionary. Yes. And where is my record on Predictionary? I think I'm like at a 70% win percentage. I think you're 6-3. and three, Okay. Possibly 7-3. Continue. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I just got to pull it up. You, you, you looked down like you were about to read the number, and I paused to find out, you know, for the big payoff here for what my Predictionary record is. You are 6-3. and three. You'll be 7-3 and three on June 1st. Because you are also of the opinion Jack Flaherty will not... What is the I wager? I don't think he's going to. Uh, you have him uh, getting five innings pitch per game before June 1st. Right. And I don't think he's going to pitch a single inning before June 1st. And that was So now if I were to say that, people go, you can't use that as a bet. Right. Because it's so obvious. Right. But, we, but my point is the messaging a month plus ago when the news came out about his Sean Reyes' shoulder, it wasn't being framed that way. Mm -hmm. And so what frustrates, I think— a healthy percentage of Cardinal fans 
is actually not maybe now the shortstop situation is starting to pop up on the radar maybe more than it was a month ago because I think people are like, well, O'Neill's going to hit and Carlson's going to hit and Goldschmidt's going to hit and Edmund's going to hit and Arnado's going to hit, so they'll have plenty of offense. And maybe DeYoung can pop back to 2019 form, fine. But what concerns me is that the Cardinals are going to repeat history of 2021 in which they were short on starting pitching and they didn't tend to it until it was too late. And otherwise, had they tended to it earlier in the season, they may have won the division. Mm -hmm. Instead, they kept sending guys out there. They were getting let up. It stretched the bullpen. Instead, they wound up in a one-game playoff with the Dodgers, and that wrapped up the season. So here we are on April 26th. And John Mazalak talks to the media yesterday, and it's kind of like, as I've been telling you guys, you know, we're just going to have to be patient. I'm going, I don't think that's necessarily what the message was. Internally, that may have been the message, Mm -hmm. because it would only stand to reason. A shoulder injury to the throwing shoulder of a major league pitcher can be a death sentence. It's not to say that it always is, but it certainly can be, unlike an elbow injury in 2022, which is seemingly a rite of passage for a major league pitcher to get Tommy John. In this case, this, from my standpoint, is a concern. Now, the Cardinals starting pitching has been overall pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. But if the Cardinals knew that this was a case of hopefully he will be productive and we told you to be patient, then they don't do anything about it should the starting pitching start to hit a roadblock. That, I think, would tilt people more so, perhaps, than the shortstop situation because we just lived through this less than 12 months ago. Right. And that's the reason I cite that. But he was also asked about Alex Reyes. He goes, I mean, I put Reyes in the same category. I wouldn't really look for an update on these two guys until mid-May, late May. That's what he said. We didn't include it in there, I don't believe, but that's what he said. Yeah, Yeah. It was just real quick. He was like, don't expect to hear anything for a while. So my premise is this. People don't like when goalposts move. That's my premise. Whether that be in business, whether that be in personal relationships, whether that be a fan of a team, that's and that's the core issue. And then you take it back a step and you go, well, this is kind of the sin that they would be repeating from 2021. Your thoughts are welcome. Six- Five seven eight zero six five seven eight zero. They aren't trying to win in October. Call it what it is. Cardinals fans know what it takes to win in October. Stop the madness. Seventeen million owned to Young. That is a disaster. That comes from Lisa. Thank you, Tim. I love your honesty and not being a homer. That is from the six three six. Let's see. O M G De Young. 2019 OMH. Jackson, I'm 45. I'm a married man with two children. Is OMH now a saying? Or mm-hmm. is there a chance that was just an, an autocorrect or just a, a slip of a finger from the G key, which is located nigh the H key? I think you're right on that. And then also just missing a lot of context, too, for us. So so perhaps frustrated by DeYoung 2019. Or, or the fact that Mazalok's saying, you know, he can go back to what he right. was, but he hasn't been that yeah, guy right. in a while right but then you're also the counter argument to that is there hasn't been a real like serious like a actual season in the normal sense like 2019 since i guess last year and then you're dealing with injury well i'm saying in 2020 the season wasn't right no i agree like, with you there yeah so you're talking about okay i follow you there all right i'm gonna like i didn't know what you were saying i didn't know if you had forgotten about last season and I no didn't know no what to do. i, I, I didn't because at that point after the lindora thing i was just going to try and help you out <laughs> i looked no. at you did you notice i looked at you with concern did you pick I up did. that i did it was it was heartwarming is what it was <laughs> i'm like we've already gotten him once today <laughs> and if he doesn't realize they played last year because he was watching like nba 
developmental league. I, I was rewatching the bubble. Does OMH stand for Oh My Heavens? I suppose it could. Yeah, but how am I? <laughs> that's not like known lexicon, is it? <laughs> uh, you can text in what OMH means and uh, and attack Jackson for not realizing there was a baseball season in 2021. That right. really, I think, is, right, here we go. is where we are. <laughs> now, this is something I'm going to tease this, but I have to be honest with you. I, do, I can tell you feel strongly about it because you sent an article about it and then you sent it at the top of your questions. I read an interesting article discussing a possible shift in hitting philosophy in Major League Baseball. The quickly summarized, it stated that with the point of the Moneyball movement to find undervalued assets and having a high batting average in today's game would be an undervalued asset. Also, with the way pitching staffs and defense have changed, home runs are crucial, leaving high batting average again as an undervalued asset. Do you believe in the next five years or so we could see a higher premium put on batting average and putting the ball in play and manufacturing runs to change the course of the way defenses and pitching staffs are positioned and constructed, respectively? Or do you think this trend of launch angle and OBP will continue to be the norm for the foreseeable future? Mm-hmm. So this is something that that sparked an interest in you. I just found it fascinating because... So in other words, you think we could go back to the 1980 style of play, which you know is near and dear to my heart? Well, I, I figured you'd like it for that reason. That's but also, right. But also just because... Like it's almost coming full circle right. again, where now pitching staffs and defenses have changed to the offense, so the offenses need to change again, essentially. Uh, this is an article in the New York Post, for the record, written by Joel Sherman, mm-hmm. um, and he is an accredited writer, and uh, he talks about this at length, and we will talk about it on the other side of the break. You are welcome to give your thoughts, 65780, Zero Comfort Service text line, Rhino Shield, Mike Drops, and if you miss any of Balloon Party, also known as Moron Sports, uh, you can listen to the Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers podcast. I am Tim McKernan. That is Action Jackson. You are listening to 101 ESPN. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tim McKernan with you here to the top of the hour. Then it's BK and Ferrario with BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2. The fast lane from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Action Jackson sent this over yesterday. Joel Sherman in the New York Post. The annual lesson is not to overreact to April since results in the first month of a season can deceive based on, among other things, small data pools and often inconsistent weather. Two weeks into the 2021 season, for example, you might have been able to convince White Sox fans to erect a statue of your mean Mercedes outside guaranteed rate field. Remember him? Oh, yeah. And they got... Skipper got sideways with him. Right, and he sent him down. He came back up. It was wild. He ended up getting demoted to the minors by early July. This season, in particular, quick, bold statements should be avoided because of the lockout. What are weeks one and two of the 2022 season really should be weeks five and six of spring training. It is the first year in addition in which humidors are being used in every Mm -hmm. stadium and the sample sizes are probably too small to gain a true rendering of the impact. So consider this just a thought exercise and a chance for me to write my first poem after 30 plus years at the New York Post. But I wonder if we were watching a season that will make us recalculate the value of batting average. You remember batting average for the first century or so of our national game. This was the statistics most determined the skill of a hitter. The batting champion, after all, was not viewed as the player with the most homers or RBIs, was the player in each league with the highest batting average. The Moneyball revolution brought the realization that the most important offensive skill was to avoid an out. Thus, it was not batting average that was the most prized skill, but rather on-base percentage. Generally, it was better to hit 260 with a 360 OBP than hit 310 with a 330 OBP. But 
At the heart of the Moneyball philosophy is not to pray at the altar of OBP or slugging percentage. It was to find undervalued assets. The athletics of Michael Lewis's book could not pay for average or homers or steals, but the rest of the sport had not caught up to paying for successfully reaching base and having long at-bats to drive starters out of the game before teams had one high-octane Leviathan, often another coming out of the bullpen to defuse offenses. So what Joel Sherman is saying is on-base percentage might be out and batting average might be in. Mm -hmm. So do you think that means we're going to start seeing the the slapping hitters of the 1980s? I actually, I really hope so. You want it. Yeah. You you didn't grow up on it. I know, but the power thing is just, you know, for if there's two or three home runs a game, that doesn't make much. I mean, a home run's a home run. It goes out of the ball yard, great. But I'd much rather see situations where there's two or three on with one or two outs and and really put some pressure on at bat, liven the things up a little bit rather than, you know, I just personally, that's how I feel. But uh, I get the reasoning behind the money ball situation and everything that's happened in the past 15 years or so. But I would like to see some more. Just get the ball and play, baby. Hit, them where they, hit it where they ain't. I uh, I would love it. I want, I think it would be good for interest in the game. Yeah. Uh, Sherman goes on to write, I'm not trying to be a victim of the moment or what I see regularly. I pretty much watch every Mets and Yankees game, and one big difference early on between the Mets averaging nearly five runs a game and the Yankees at three is the Mets were hitting 259, which was third in the majors, while the Yankees are hitting 220. And amazingly, there were 10 teams worse than them. How about that? Yeah, that's crazy. 10 teams worse than hitting 220. Right. Major League Baseball's overall batting average was 231, six points lower than the worst season ever in the history of the game. Arguably, the two biggest surprise teams going into the weekend were the Rockies at 8-4 and four and the Guardians at 7-5, and five, and they were far and away leading the majors in average at 284 and 280, respectively. They also led by quite a bit on average of balls in play, and that stat often normalizes. In this case, it would lower as a season progresses. Still, I just keep wondering if the ability to have a high batting average takes on greater meaning now because of velocity, because of pitch movement, because of the more precise defensive positioning. Hitting the ball hard is, of course, extremely important because of shifts. However, if there's not diversity where to hit hard at balls, we may continue to see a lot more hard hit outs, cries of hitting into bad luck, and encouragement about what the expected batting average is. As one top AL executive told me, if the data for expected averages, including years ago, it is meaningless. No one was positioning like they are now. The expected average has to mean something today. So you have to say, what is the expectation for this batter versus the shift that he is likely to see. It's good knowledge in there. It's it's you know it's in the weed stuff. Right. I recognize it. When it comes to baseball, I go into the weeds, um, and I think it could play a role in actually providing a renaissance for the game. Should that happen, right. um, so I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm, yeah. I don't know if we'll necessarily see it because, as Sherman acknowledges, he's basing this premise in in, in part on a super small amount of data. Right. And, you know, listen, I mean, if the Rockies and the Guardians wind up in the World Series or even wind up in the postseason, actually, I mean, right. both those teams were not having uh, high expectations going into the year, then perhaps it would play a role in revolutionizing it. I mean, the A's could have done this, but if the A's would have finished third in the American League West, nobody would have paid attention. You're right. It was the fact that they were able to go on that winning streak and compete against great teams like the, you know, 2001 Mariners mm-hmm. who won 100, what, 16 games, if yeah, I'm not mistaken? Won 15 or 16. And, uh, you know, go up against these behemoths in the American League East and compete that made people pay attention to what they were doing right. in Oakland. And that revolutionized the game. Yeah. I'd like to see it. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. Uh, 65780. And you're also welcome 
to uh, call in and leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. Uh, let's see. The string of hits together and good base running trumps a long ball. I think that's from the 618. Why do people forget that a high batting average would help the OBP and the slugging percentage? It's crazy to me that people think average doesn't matter. That's from the STL and the ATX. Uh, guys, why don't they play Little League with no fences? Thanks. It's from the 417. Springfield, Missouri era. I always played the Little League with no fences. Is that right? Yeah. Would you hit it to the gap and just run for days? Well, one time I thought I hit the longest ball ever. It was a routine pop out to left. That's why I knew my baseball career was not That's long. when you retired. No, I just knew that it wasn't going to work out for me. Well, I think it's going to work out for you still. You're 24, and you still can get some time in the league. <laughs> well, yeah, if they m- manipulate my service time. Thank you. Hey, Blues and Avalanche tonight, pregame at 730. And this is a spot that if you were looking at it maybe a few months ago, maybe this could be this could be for the division. Mm-hmm. When it gets down to it, Colorado is just finishing out the stretch. They've lost four in a row, and so this is uh, not nearly as important for the Avalanche. And I don't even know when it gets down to it how important it is for the Blues but because the Avalanche are kind of playing out the string, mm-hmm. trying to get uh, May healthy when they'll take on one of who knows who it'll be, Predators, Stars, VGK, I don't know. Uh, what would you think the odds are for tonight's festivities with the pregame on 101 ESPN at 7.30 p.m.? Mm, Moneyline, baby, money right. line. Avalanche minus 140? It's minus one sixty-five. Okay, okay. I don't. This is so. This is so zero upside, and you know I'm not a zero upside player. No, you are not. I am a juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah, it's been your model for a long time. It has since two thousand. Was it two thousand three or two thousand four's girl uh, next door? Right. Oh, the oh four one. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, I think the Blues at plus one sixty-five. Tempting, it's tasty actually. Is awfully. It, 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 listen. In, 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 let's hope in three weeks we're talking about the Blues in Denver right? for the playoffs. Yeah. It'd be wonderful. Actually, I think maybe we'd prefer the Blues are playing somebody else. That means <laughs> the Avalanche awesome got too. shipped. Right. But the the most likely scenario is that the Avalanche would advance past the first round unless they want to go lightning CBJ. And the Avalanche will be substantial favorites. And I think everybody in St. Louis would understand. Mm-hmm. But in this set of circumstances... I don't think the Colorado Avalanche, the Blues would see in three weeks, or the Colorado Avalanche they're going to see tonight. That's a good... You see I, what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. for the Avalanche to be minus 165... Right, in a game where they really might have minimal interest in it. And the Blues are competing right. for this home ice. And, and listen, I mean, I realize they were playing some you know teams that are shutting her down out on sure. the West Coast in California this past weekend. But... I kind of think that there might be value on the Blues while they're hosting the Coyotes. Ooh, the uh, newly the new Arizona State Coyotes. Correct, the Sun Devils slash Coyotes. <laughs> what do you think the number is on this? And I will tell you this. I will even give you a hint. Okay. You cannot go high enough. Okay. Uh, I'll go take wild. It's going to be wild minus three ten. Wild minus 600. Oh, 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 my God. I have never, (laughs) and I mean never, seen a money line like this 
for a professional sports game of the major North American sports leagues. I thought I was going deep in the 300s. Minus 600. For those of you not living life as a degenerate, number one, I tip my cap at number two. That means you would have to bet $600 on the wild to win 100. That's insanity. I'm sitting there going, I got to tell you, I might parlay the blues in the wild tonight. (laughs) Yeah, you might say. And then I go, oh, it's minus 600? So what do I got to do? So, I mean, a lot of juice. It's absolute craziness. So yeah, you really gotta you really gotta feel confident in the wild, and I do. But on the off chance that the Coyotes have themselves a night, you'll be out. Yeah, you'll be. You're wanting to win a hundred, okay? Well, you just lost six hundred. Yeah. I don't think your financial advisor would counsel you on that no, one. No, no, you would not. Uh, it's ten fifty three. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Tim McCartan, Action Jackson, with you. The presentation is called Balloon Party on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, Jackson, and that's going to do it. There's just poor, listen, there's poor time management going on here with me. Right. Poor clock management. Poor clock management. Right. But BK and Ferrari up next, and I don't want to take their time. No. It's not right. 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 Uh, that'll wrap it up for Balloon Party. Enjoyed the presentation again today. If you missed anything, you'd like to listen to it, subscribe to the Balloon Party podcast uh, via 101 ESPN, the Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast. And uh, Jackson and I are on every day from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 105.7 HD2 FM. Yeah, HD2. How you like it now? Yeah, come on now. Uh, or on TMASTL.com, and then we do our one hour here, and uh, then they clean out the water, right. and then they let the adults back into the pool. BK and Ferrari are up next. Next, uh, for Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.